98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station and the home of the Suns. Home of the Suns. We're checking in with Suns nerd Kellen Olsen on the rundown. Yeah, we are probably for the last time this season, although next season starts in like four hours. Kellen Olsen joining us now on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. The Summer Suns, their season wrapped up this afternoon with an 88-85 loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kellen, first of all, how rude of me. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, man. How about you? I'm, I'm doing good. What, uh, what stood out to you about this team throughout these five games? I think their ability to... Um, I don't know if this is too big picture for summer league and some people might roll their eyes at me, but I was genuinely impressed by seeing Suns traits come out in this team by the, by the end of their play. In the first two games, they just look like a team trying to get acclimated to each other and, and a team that was like really lacking in talent. But you, you saw like the vision for how the roster was constructed by the end of it, which is like all of these guys – Looks like guys who want to play the Suns' way, which is uh, selfless was the word that Brian Randall described, the assistant coach of the Suns, who is the head coach of the Summer League team. That's the word that he chose to describe the way the, play, the, way the Suns play. And I think that I was not alone, and some Suns fans watching the game saw a team that kind of resembled last year's just in terms of their style, the way the ball was starting to move a bit more, the way players were moving around the court, just how defense was translating to offense. It, to me, that was like the thing, and, and I think – if you're asking why that matters or the significance of it, I just think it's it's really actually quite significant and just shows the amount of progress that this team has made since general manager James Jones and head coach Monty Williams got together. Because in two years, they've established a clear, identifiable style of play to the team. Three years ago, Luke, we didn't even know what the style of play was the Suns were trying to achieve five years ago, seven years ago. like You can figure out exactly what they were trying to do, basically, and now it's clear, clear as day, and it was cool to see it come out of the players there while they were there. Uh, Jalen Smith specifically, I mean, that was that was the guy everybody had their, their eyes on to, uh, to start this. Now, he didn't play today, but in general, what did you see from him? So there are a couple of ways to evaluate Summer League for, for a player in his position, which is that he's a lottery pick coming into his second year. And, and the bottom line is, and just to be blunt about it, the expectation for a guy in that position if he's playing in Summer League, he should dominate – and he should look like he shouldn't even be playing there. It should, he should be very – he should stand out in a multitude of ways. I think that some guys that we saw do that early on were Sadiq Bay in Detroit. I think Tyrese Maxey in Philly was another one. The two New York guys, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, I think that they were there. Two Memphis's Desmond Bain. I don't know if I exactly got there with Jalen Smith. I think that he clearly stood out in the game and was the guy who you saw in the game who was like, this is the first-round pick on the floor right now, which is how long he was and how he was moving around the court and just his skill set. But with that being said, I thought that there were a handful of moments for him throughout these games where he was just making the type of young player mistakes that, again, he's, he's young, he's in his second season, but you would expect some of those to be out of his system by now a year into his NBA career, and again, he didn't play. We're going off of G League play and Summer League play for him so far. But those types of like mistakes were still consistent, and I just think that he did not look like the guy who has been playing as NBA players for a full year. There's just a clear difference that you see. And, of course, like the painful thing is for those guys I mentioned, uh, Luke, they passed on for Jalen. So <laughs> it, that, that's, that's the unfortunate part of, of that statement. But with that being said, it, as far as I can go is saying that 
it was not a clear indicator that he is absolutely ready for a role next year, right? Like, if he would have played like one of those four or five guys I mentioned, I think you're looking at it and saying, oh, they got to find him minutes next year. But that was not the case, and it just looks like there's still some more development and seasoning that needs to come with him. Talking to Kellen Olsen on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line, Phoenix Suns guru, Kellen Olsen. I forgot your, uh, your official title there, Kellen. Um, as far as Jalen Smith, like, what is what is the best case? What is the ideal scenario in your mind if if he does take that next step this year? How would you like to see the Suns, or how do they hope to be able to use him just this upcoming season? Right, that's what I talked about uh, with my co-host Kevin Thurman on the Empire of the Suns podcast, and we kind of debated with each other for a bit. They drafted Jalen Smith, and uh, for me. And a lot of people who watched him pre-draft, you were looking at a guy who was a center in this league. Now, he's slightly undersized at 6'10", but he's got longer arms. He's a little bit skinny, so he might struggle there. But the thing is, you're looking at a stretch five. And the biggest appeal of his entire skill set and outlook was his shooting and just how you could even use him off of motion. The catch-and-shoot motion looked great. The numbers were pretty encouraging for where he started, which was not being much of a three-point shooter. And he's just going to continue to get better in that regard. But the Suns saw a guy who was, who was really mobile, and saw just the way that he showed a, a potential, I guess, in, in that regard, and wanted to turn him into a, a different position, which is play him as more of a power forward. The way that Monty described it was a more athletic Dario Sarge, and he himself said it, like, we're, we're teaching him a new position. So instead of him being a five who plays like a little bit of four every now and then, they kind of see him as more of a four, kind of a guy who does a little bit of ball handling, a lot more switching defensively, that kind of thing, a lot more just versatile defensively. And, and that's where you wonder if, if maybe they should turn back on that. Should they just look at him more strictly as a five? And that was part of what was um, tough to figure out with the picking him at 10. Yeah, I mean, it was high for him, whatever you want to say, but this happened with Cam Johnson too, so again, it, it can change. But it's a lot more different in this situation because you know DeAndre is going to play, what, 34 minutes a game every night no matter what? So if you play him as only a center, he's going to max out at, at 20 minutes maybe. Like maybe he gets a couple at the four. And if you're using a lottery pick on that spot, then that's just not the right way to use value. And then the James Jones explained that night, and they've talked about this season, that they're like developing his ball handling. He's working on being more of a four and a five. And he played a lot of four in Vegas. And I think that is the big question or, or moment you kind of find yourself at right now is like, do you not, not necessarily bail on developing that, but more focus on him and look at him as more of just a five as opposed to a four. And, and that's the interesting choice that they have in front of them because you don't want to just commit to him entirely being a four, having not work out and then he's not a quality NBA or not an NBA player at all. And I, I think he definitely can be as a five, but this, this um, vision that they have for what he could be in the future, that's where you might pause a bit and wonder uh, if if they turn back or if they don't. I mean, you want to commit to it all the way through, right? And there's got to be a moment where they make that declaration, and maybe it's too early right now, but but we'll see further along in his in his development because, again, it's it's early. I feel like two seasons in is when we can start talking about stuff like this, but we can at least start the discussion, and, and that's kind of where it's at right now. Well, it's obviously tough to, to crack this roster now, too. I mean, they're pretty well set outside of maybe Jalen Smith, but the other guys that, that showed up on the Suns Summer League team, it's just five games. I get it. It's not, you know, the competition is mixed. But was there anybody that stood out to you as, as a guy that, hey, maybe we'll see this guy on the Suns in a couple of years or we'll see him playing somewhere else in the NBA in a couple of years? Yeah, there were two guys. And what, the fascinating thing about their roster, Luke, is that they did something that I personally can't remember seeing on any Summer League roster is that, 
it included no one from the 2021 draft class. They grabbed a handful of guys who were playing overseas last year or guys like Tyshawn and Jalen who were on their roster drafted last year or signed last year from that draft class. So in terms of like long-term potential, there aren't that many guys like that because, again, they got grabbed mostly guys in their mid to late 20s. But Kyle Alexander out of Tennessee is a guy who was on a two-way with Miami two years ago. And then Michael Frazier II is a guard um, out of Florida who was on Houston on a two-way two years ago as well. Uh, and the interesting thing about where the Suns roster stands right now with those two guys in mind is they have an open two-way spot. And, look, it's just you might as well use it if it's sitting there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you wonder uh, you should use it. <laughs> I think there's no other way to say it, right? Uh, you're not really uh, losing anything. I mean, money, I guess, paying the guys. But you could have a real chance of developing a guy and using that spot. And the Suns haven't used both of those spots in the past, so I wonder if that's going to continue to be a theme. But Alexander is an undersized five who, who doesn't move that well in some senses, but he's also pretty explosive, really long. And I think the thing we saw in all those games is that he has a nose for the ball on both ends. And I think that the way that he played today, I thought that that was the best performance of any player on their summer league roster in any game, and including Jalen Smith. He had 18, 14, and three blocks. He was on 8 of 12 shooting. I thought that he was a presence really defending the rim, and he looked great. Michael Frazier second comes out of Florida as a sharpshooter, and, and that's his main uh, – skill is his shooting and i think the thing that surprised me watching him is that he's pretty quick um as a two guard he's a bit undersized but he's quick and can move his feet defensively can drive a bit offensively and and i mentioned the skills in there luke that's what the fascinating thing is about talking about these guys and you know this like with any other sport right like hockey football baseball these guys are so close to being nba professional players on that level right at the nba level but they're just missing that thing or two or there's a thing or two kind of holding them back but that's what you get with this two-way, right? You bring them in on a two-way, develop them for another year, and see if they turn into anything. It looks like Tyshawn Alexander might be turning into something for them. And those are two guys that stick out to me where they could use that spot. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Kellen, last one for you, just around the summer league. I mean, obviously, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, some of those guys. Does anybody stand out to you of like, okay, yeah, this guy, even if it's one of those two. I mean, they're coming in with such high expectations. But any, anything really jump out at you around the rest of the league? I think it's just how every top ten – uh, a majority of the guys picked in the top 10 have landed in, I, I'll use the word interesting, Luke, where I think that their situation could swing them in one direction or the other, and I think we've learned that over the sun. Like, I mean, does Dragon Bender turn into an NBA player on 29 other NBA teams? Probably not, but situation really does matter and factor into it for sure. You look in Detroit, and they're going to have to figure out how to balance, okay, how much do we want Cade Cunningham on the ball, which they should a lot, but he also has a lot of value as an off-ball shooter and an off-ball decision-maker. Like we see in Phoenix, how you kick it to a guy in a corner, and that guy being able to make the right decision every time really has a factor, and you can put Cade in that position, but then you're not getting as much value out of him. In Cleveland, I'm really interested to see. I thought Evan Mobley was the best prospect in this draft. He lands next to Jared Allen and, and is going to play some four as opposed to five, where Jared Allen will be. They just signed him to a five-year, $100 million deal, too, so he's not going anywhere anytime soon. But to bring up Bender and Chris again, Luke, we spent so much time talking about can those guys play together. I think you just worry about them being NBA players in the first place. That's not where you're going to worry with Mobley, but I do wonder if you're stagnating his development a bit, not playing what is obviously his most natural position, which is center. Kuminga and Golden State is fascinating. Like, Can he just fit in on that team by doing the right things and hustling? And can he sort of already this young in his career, at the start of his career, change his play style for more of a shoot-first guy and just fill in the gaps, slash, defend, rebound, hustle? Can he just change his role 
already to being one of those guys because if he can, he'll be one of the best players in this class. I mean, Orlando has Jalen Suggs with Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz on their team, so there's a matter of who gets the ball and who gets to handle it. Jalen Suggs should, but we'll see. So I think there's going to be a lot of like fluctuation and variation with this class just based on where guys landed in general. It's pretty interesting. Kellen Olson, great stuff as always, man. Thank you for the time. Uh, are you aware training camp starts in six weeks? Six weeks, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and they still have stuff that they could do with rookie extensions and stuff. So I, I'd like to think that this is the start of my break, but we'll see what they're up to. Yeah. <laughs> you know better than that. All right, Kellen, thanks a lot. Have a good night. Thanks, man.